Brought to you by Capital One, where you can open a savings account in about five minutes and earn five times the national average. Just imagine, five times more savings toward that overdue home edition, maybe even an addition on that edition. This is Banking Reimagined. What's in your wallet? Capital One and a member FDIC. You're listening to Lucy Kellaway's podcast from the Financial Times. In May 1968, I had my first sexual experience. I was almost nine at the time, and that afternoon had been practicing French skipping in my bedroom with my best friend, Tabitha. When we had tired of leaping over the elastic that was strung tightly between two chairs, she told me about French kissing, and briefly and rather less enthusiastically, we practiced that instead. At around the same time, my mother came home one day with a bag from Kids and Gear in Carnaby Street. Inside was a black jumbo-cord miniskirt with a red leather belt almost as wide as the skirt and a mustard skinny rib polo neck. Never has an outfit given me more pleasure. Never have I felt quite so cool. Apart from these two isolated incidents, the 1960s didn't leave much of a mark on me. Yet 40 years later, the decade will not leave me alone. It is my job to write about management trends and working life, and it seems that I've been writing about the values of the 1960s for a very long time. It didn't happen at once. Indeed, it took business about 20 years to work out that the 1960s had happened at all. When I joined the workforce in 1981, the culture was much the same as it had been in the 50s, hierarchical and stable. Jobs were still meant to be for life. But 1968 happened in offices round about 1988, And in 2008, the ideas of the 1960s are still affecting the ways we behave and think at work. In the early 1960s, a group of radical American students got together and drew up a blueprint for what they thought the world ought to look like. The celebrated Port Huron statement called for work that was educative, not stultifying, creative, not mechanical, self-directed, not manipulated, encouraging independence, a willingness to accept social responsibility. As Anthony Dworkin pointed out in the current issue of Prospect magazine, these ideas have now become enshrined in the workplace that business schools preach. Empowerment, creativity, teamwork, lifelong learning, values and visions, all these ideas had their roots in the 1960s. Students got over it. Business never has. Some of these ideas have turned into a good thing in workplaces, others less so. The business equivalent of free love is job hopping, which means that employees can get into bed with any old employer, and if it doesn't work out, they can dump them and move on. In moderation, this is good. In excess, it is expensive for employers, destabilizing for employees. The idea of instant and constant gratification was also a big thing in the 1960s, but is not so good when translated to work. Jobs are often dull, and so if we expect the earth to move for us every time, we end up feeling cheated and disappointed when it doesn't. Above all, what characterised the 1960s was people pretending to be cool when they actually were quite square. Far out, man, and be free, they used to say. The same now applies to most corporate executives. They speak a language infected with the spirit of the 1960s because they think it sounds good, not because they really mean it. My favourite example was the J.P. Morgan manager who instructed investment bankers to 
take the time today to call a client and tell them you love them. Peace and love proved a dodgy dictum even when applied to students. When applied to bankers, it beggars belief. Less extreme but more revealing was an email forwarded to me last week written by Devin Wenig, the new CEO of the markets division of the newly merged Thomson Reuters. This message strikes me as a perfect example of the standard professional memo that successful executives like to write. It is also an extraordinary hybrid, corporate jargon overlaid on 1960s hippie talk. The result is repulsive. The point of the memo was to reassure customers that most of the services pre-merger will still be available to them post-merger, that the company is interested in their views, that it will try to improve its service. Simple stuff. But it is expressed like this. Mr. Wenig says the company's goal is to develop deeper and richer innovative solutions. Delivery and solutions are newish, but the rest is straight from the 1960s with its insistence on creativity and compulsory hyperbole. Indeed, the 1960s was the decade when adjectival inflation took hold. Until then, something could be merely good. The 1960s made it fabulous, great, or sensational. The memo continues. Going forward, we are committed to supporting the vast majority of our products. Going forward is a modern monstrosity, but all that supporting and all that misplaced commitment is very 60s. Throughout the memo, there is much hippie talk of customer experience, of reaching out, and of passion. In this spaced-out world, suppliers are instead called partners who share our vision. The memo ends like this. We are at the beginning of an exciting journey, and I look forward to sharing it with you. In the 1960s, people did an awful lot of sharing, of joints, girlfriends, and so on, and went on a lot of trips together, too. But at least they weren't so po-faced about it. Let me take you down because I'm going to Strawberry Fields, sang the Beatles. Nothing is real, nothing to get hung about. But that is just the trouble, and that is why the spirit of the 1960s jars at work. In business, it is real, and there is much to get hung about. Thank you for listening. To read Lucy Kellaway's columns online, please visit www.ft.com forward slash Kellaway. Ready to start the next chapter of your career? Earn an executive MBA from Georgetown McDonough. Designed for working professionals and ranked number one in the world for international business by the Financial Times, the program features two global residencies, mentorship opportunities, a vibrant campus community, and the access only Washington, D.C. can offer. See how Georgetown's executive MBA can help you advance at choosegeorgetown.com slash EMBA.